What's up, Parkview? Now, it's 11.22. Y'all can do a little bit better than that. All right, what's up, Parkview? There we go. Hey, if you have the chance to scoot your cheek to the middle or to this whatever you need to to let some people in, let's do that. Let's do that. And uh, while you do that, I'll introduce myself. My name is Pastor Brian, and I'm the campus pastor at our Lockport campus. And uh, every now and again, every, yeah, amen, every now and again, I will, uh, I'll hitchhike over, take a look at what's going on over here, and get a chance just to share a message with you guys. And uh, I'm excited to do that. So before I go too far, I should let you know that Parkview is a multi-site church. What does that mean? That means that we are one church, multiple locations. You are in one location, and we are the other location that is meeting right now at the same time. And uh, there has been a lot of of really good things that have happened in the past year over there. We are now currently in HD over at Lockport, so they are looking at my ugly bald mug in HD, so that's a cool thing, I guess, I don't know, Um, but other really good things that are happening. We launched our Saturday service this year, which has been going fantastic. That's three services over at Lockport. Uh, The end of this month, we'll be doing our second annual Churches Left the Building event. That means that we shut down church for the weekend, and we go out into the community to serve them. We'll be at the Fairmont School, and the last year we kind of helped them get ready for the school year to start. This year we're kind of adding a little bit to that with a wellness clinic. And so people will be able to come and get some some medical uh, assistance and some screenings and that'll be done by the people at our church. So that's fantastic as well too. Um, Also in addition to that, people are just loving Jesus over there. People are meeting Christ every week, baptisms all the time. We actually have uh, kids that are just going freaking out about things. And so I just wanted you to know that things are going fantastic over there. To thank you for your prayers for that, but to also let you know that uh, if you have friends in the area, we would love to have them over there. You send them over the ball guy will take real good care of them I promise all right so that is uh, that's enough of that why don't we just why don't we pray and we'll get going okay mighty God and Father I thank you for this moment right now a moment that we were not promised even a second ago that you give us to use. And so, Lord, as we hear from your word today, Lord, would you open our hearts a little bit more, soften our souls to the point where we can hear what you would want us to hear and then do something with what we've heard. Lord, I pray that as we talk about grace, the grace of second chances, that we hear those in our, on our ears and our lives and receive that, but also be willing to hear how we can be graceful to other people. Lord God, you are an awesome God who loves us and we thank you for being here now. Be with us as we meet in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I could promise you something today, Parkview, that uh, you will be able to brag a bit when you walk out the doors. And I know we like to brag a little bit. I know that. But here's what we're going to brag about. You will be able to brag that you will have read an entire book of the Bible today. An entire book of the Bible. And I know you're like, Lego. Okay, it's a... And some of you are like, in elementary school was the last time I read a book. And I would say that Freckle Juice, that's a good book. That is. And Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing, that's a good book. But we're going we're gonna to kick it up a notch today. Um, now, I want you to know this, though, that the book that we're talking about is actually one chapter long. It has 25 verses, and it's more of a, a postcard than it is a book. So don't freak out too much. Don't be, freak out too much. What I want you to do is turn to the book of Philemon. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn to the book of Philemon. If you have your phones with the Bible on it, flip to your app open to that. If you want to watch the screens, that's fine. But Philemon is where we're going to be launching um, ourselves into. And that by the end of the day, you can check off on your bucket list, read a book of the Bible, I promise, okay? Now, as you do that, a lot of good things have happened at the Lockport campus, but also in my life, personally, in the Hunt family, some really good things have happened, but none bigger than the birth of my son, Easton. So here's Easton. Yeah, there's my boy, little Easton. And my daughter and his big sister, Aniston, is just, she's just loving being a big sister. So there's, 
There's Aniston and Easton. Uh, we are that shallow. He was named after a baseball bat, and she was named after Jennifer Aniston. So there is how wonderful a pastor I am. But um, they, they are doing good. But I, I, you need to know that's a big reason. That's a big thing for a couple of reasons, okay? Uh, the birth of Easton is, number one, I got my boy. Yes, I got my boy. Y chromosome. Yes, it was fantastic. It's also a big deal because of this, that I am currently, as it stands right now, the only Parkview pastor that has a child of either sex, right? So Pastor Tim, all girls, no money, all girls right now, no money. Uh, Pastor Bill, all boys, Pastor Jason, all boys, Kevin over at Lockport, all girls, Pastor Casey has his daughter. So I am the only one with one of each, and I have no idea what I win for that distinction, but I'm highly competitive, so I will take the win. That's what I'm talking about. I'm taking it. Take it. But Easton had re-reminded me, the birth of Easton re-reminded me of some things about being a parent. Um, Number one, um, I was reminded how, how crazy it is that something so tiny and so beautiful can make something that disgusting and that smelly at the same time. Um, uh, I'm reminded how much I hate restaurants that don't have changing tables in their stalls. Can I get an amen, right? You know, I mean, you just... uh, And then I I was also reminded, and and just take for granted, things like sleep. And I take for granted things like eating with two hands. And I take for granted things like having the back seat of my truck so it doesn't look like a transformer went and landed on it to recharge. I mean, there's some things that I take for granted. But also Easter reminded me about, and my fellow parents, you'll have to back me up on this, that, that although you might think that you know what it's like to be a parent, you don't know until you are a parent. Am I right? Are a parent. I mean, you can read books about it, you can, you can babysit, you can watch all the episodes of Teen Mom that you want, you can, you can volunteer in the, in the nursery till you're blue in the face, but it still won't tell you what it's like to be a parent. It's not until you've walked that road to having a child that you then have birthed that child, you've driven that child home, you've been projectile puked on by that child, and then you try to raise that child every day that you start to understand what it's like to really be a parent. I believe the same thing is true about grace. As we talk about grace, this grace anomic series, I believe that grace is that same way. See, I, I think that we, we, have, we, we read about it in Scripture, we read about it in books, we'll get tattoos of it, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll tell people about it, we'll even pray for it, but until we've experienced it, we really don't understand what grace is all about. Until we have the chance to receive it from someone or give it to someone, we don't fully understand the totality of what grace is all about. And here's the thing. I believe it's like if I could paint a broad picture about what Philemon is all about, it is just that. It is a tangible example of grace in action, of seeing grace lived out in the lives of these men. And so let's dive into this thing, all right? So Philemon, I don't even need to use chapters because there's only one. So we're going to start in verse 1 of Philemon. Paul says this, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace to you and peace from our God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before we get too far, we need to learn a few things here. The first thing is that Paul is writing this letter from prison, which shouldn't shock you in any way because that dude was in prison like a lot, okay? Like a lot. Um, and an interesting part, though, is that Philemon was actually part of four letters he wrote at the same time. They're referred to as the prison letters, that is, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon. All of them together make up the prison letters. 
I know, all the smartest dudes in the world. That's the best title they could come up with, right? If we gave it to Parkview, it would be a little different. We'd figure it out. But that's what they are, the prison letters. Now, the second thing that's interesting about that, though, is that what makes this letter, Philemon, different than those other four is that it's actually written to a person, not to a church. Colossians, Ephesians, and Philippians, they were all written to churches to encourage them along the way on things to do and not to do. But in this case, in this case of this letter, it's written to the man by the name of Philemon. And the reason for it is just fascinating. So let's, let's continue. And let's continue reading in verse 4. He says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement. Because of you, brother, you have refreshed the hearts of the saints. You all ever been buttered up for something? You know, you ever been buttered up for something? Now, I, I drive a truck, okay? And uh, there's a couple of reasons. One, I like to be taller. I'm just going to be honest, right? I like to be taller. The second thing, I, I genuinely like to help people with my truck. Now, um, fellow truck people in the room, y'all are going to say amen to this in just a second. But I, I, I always know when someone's going to ask me to use my truck. Right? Yeah, you always know, right? Because the voice gets a little sweeter, right? They start complimenting my hair a little bit and... They, <laughs> They start telling me that my family's good and how, how are my kids doing. And then it's like I'm getting hit on a little bit, you know. It's kind of, you know. But then right at the right second, they will, they'll, they'll spring it on you, right? They'll say, hey, can I borrow your truck and you to move my humpback whale from Homer Glen to Michigan City in the fourth floor of my apartment that has no elevator? What do you say? And, it, of course, every guy is going to say, yes, who doesn't want to move a humpback whale? That's pretty cool, Right? But, but they, they always do that. And, and I feel like the first seven verses of this, of this book are the exact same way. I mean, check it out. Verse 1 says he compliments his family. Verse 4, he thanks God for him. In verse 5, he compliments um, all that he's doing in the faith. In verse 6, he kind of throws a little guilty jab at him and says, Hey, I want to make sure that you're actually sharing your faith. And verse 7 is when he kind of hits it and he says, He refreshes the hearts of the saints. Now, now, Paul means that very genuinely, but, I mean, single guys, that's a pretty good pickup line right there, right? You refresh the hearts of the saints. Aww. Right? I, mean, they, I mean, it just feels like he's buttering him up for something, isn't it? Well, he may be. So check it out. Let's continue in reading, starting in verse 8. He says, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you, I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then as Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in the chains for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a while was that, he might, that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. And there we have it, the can I borrow your truck moment in this story. Except this time the, the stakes are a little bit bigger than moving some couches. You see, in this case, we realize that it's not a reconnection letter between Paul and Philemon. It's a recommendation letter for Paul, for Onesimus. 
Well, let's just call him Oni. That'll make it easier for us, right? So we have Oni. And believe me, when Philemon would have heard the name of Oni, he would have understood that name. Because Oni was one of his slaves. And at one point, uh, Oni left. He may have stolen something from Philemon. He might have done something. But he left to run to Rome in order to hide in the crowds, hopefully. Now, the thing is that you have to remember, at that time, there were 60 million slaves that were bought and sold, they figured. Now, the difference between our idea of slavery and back then is that, in some cases, people would actually voluntarily become slaves to pay off debts to their family. They would, they would stay slaves to the, for the amount of time it took for them to, to pay off the debt, or if they earned enough money, they could then buy their freedom from those slave owners. Now, interestingly enough, though, 500 denarii was about the cost of a normal, of a normal slave, and it would go up to 500 or 50,000 denarii. Now, f- denarii, about 500 denarii is about one year's worth of salary, so 50,000 denarii was a great, great deal of money. And, and it was interesting because at that point, the, the higher the amount, the more skilled that slave might have become. Now, the loss of a slave to the owner was a huge deal. It was a huge deal and a financial loss. So when someone would find the slave, they would then return that person that they could continue to pay the debt off for that person. Now, now see, we put ourselves in Philemon's case, and he, he's in his, inside his house. He finds a postcard under his door. He pulls it out, and he starts to read it, and he finds out that it's from his friend, Paul. And as he's reading, he finds out that Oni has been found. In fact, Paul has found Oni. But the more that he keeps reading, he realizes something. Oni has become a Christian. Come on, Paul, you're killing me, Smalls, is probably what he's thinking, you know? He's probably thinking, because he, here's the thing, not, he, he didn't just like take him, I mean, he, he became a Christian, and Paul is really good at that. If you look wrong at him, Jesus is like all over you. You're going to be a Christian one way or the other if you meet Paul. He just has that ability. And, and it's not only that only he's become a Christian, he's like a really good one. Paul calls him like his heart. He says that he's become a son to him. And so because of that, now Paul is asking Philemon not to just take him back as a slave, but no, to take him back as a free man and a brother in Christ. Now there's this tension that is formed here because of that. And you have to understand that as Philemon realizes this and reads this, there's implications to this. If you were to bring back a slave with no sort of compensation or anything, this is countercultural. People would not have understood that at all. On top of that, what if this whole fad of if you become a Christian, you don't have to be a slave anymore for Philemon caught on with the rest of his crew? Then it would cause him a lot of, deal, a lot of pain and a lot of financial hardship. But before Philemon can even catch his breath, um, Paul ups the ante a little bit and he continues this little ditty and wraps it up here. So we'll pick up again in verse 17. It says, so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Do me a favor. Turn to your neighbor, give him a high five, and say, I just read a book of the Bible. Go ahead. Go ahead. Good job, class. Well done. Let's circle back. You have to understand something here. So, so Philemon, he, he, before he can even get a yeah, but out, like, yeah, come on, yeah, but, here's what Paul says. He says, oh, by the way, Philemon, I know that Oni might have uh, stolen something from you, and he cost you some money. I don't know all of it, but just, you just put it on my tab. You know that I'm good for it. 
And then I love Paul, a little sarcastic. He says, even though you owe me your own life, right? I love Paul. He's so sarcastic. But then to put the cherry on the top of the guilt Sunday, he says this. He says, hey, clean your house because I'm planning to come over. Right? I'm going to check in on how this whole thing went. And then on top of that, oh, by the way, as I'm writing this, all your boys are here while I'm writing it. So just want to make sure that they know too. In other words, Santa's coming to town. I'm bringing all the elves is what he's telling them. He signs the, the bottom, love Paul, and then he leaves Philemon with this decision to make. Now, if we're, if we're not careful, if we, if we rush through this, we'll lose sight of the richness of the story. Because automatically we get caught up in the person receiving this letter from Paul. I mean, after all, it was written to Philemon, so it would make sense for us to get attached to him. But what we miss out on is the other side of it. What about the person that's delivering the letter? What about Oni? You see, I think this is a good time to remind us all as we consider grace, there's always two sides to the door of grace. Now, when I was in elementary school back in South Dakota, um, I had the uh, distinct pleasure of having my mom make my lunches for me. Um, and, uh, Mom, I love you. I love you, Mom. You did some great stuff. She would make some great, great lunches for us. And not just the, the kind where you brought the bag and you had the sandwich and all of that. I mean, we're talking, I would have to bring multiple bags and we'd have like a buffet that would be laid out. And, 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 and my lunches came in, in pieces, right? So we got the noodles, then the sauce, then the toppings, and then everybody's all jealous. And they should be because it was way better than theirs. So it was like, you know, it was fantastic. It was one, it was a spread. It took time. It was great. But I remember one day my mom had made some soup for us and it was... Uh, star chicken noodle soup, I think it was. And so we, we were sitting down to eat, and, um, and, and I, had, I was kind of at the cool table. I had all my boys, and I had the girls and stuff. I don't know why I was there, but I was, I was at the table, and um, we were eating. And I remember eating the soup, and it was really good. And then at one point, I took a bite, and I felt it coming, and I realized I couldn't stop it. And so at that moment, I remember, chew! At that moment, two things went through my mind. One, that was a really good sneeze. And then, and then two was, there's nothing in my mouth anymore. <laughs> and so I prayed so desperately that when I opened my eyes, what I saw wasn't there. And so I slowly opened my eye, and it was true. I had spit every star chicken noodle soup on Sarah Kaiser's face across the table, and now she had like a constellation face. It was great, right? Like the Big Dipper and everything was there, and it, it, was, it was unbelievable. <laughs> now, I still remember, I still remember, all I wanted to do, all I wanted to do, and my best friend sitting next to me, he's like, ha, 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 like, thank you, Rob, wonderful, right? All I wanted to do at that moment was just get away. I just wanted to run away and forget all about that. Now, Max Licata, one of my favorite authors in the book, In the Grip of Grace, he writes these words. He says that the most difficult journey is the journey back to the place in which you failed. The most difficult journey is the journey back to the place in which you failed. Now, now for a second, can we imagine what Oni might have been going through? That we might have to kind of think about this for a second? Because right now, as we stand in front of this, this is the, this is the outside of the door of grace. This is where the guilty reside. Now, see, for starters, if we put ourselves in Oni's place, we have to understand he's been doing ministry with Paul for a long time. And that's not puppies and ponies when you're with Paul, let me tell you. I mean, with Paul, it's, it's, uh, you're known for stonings and whippings and beatings and floggings and shipwrecks and getting snake bitten. I mean, when Paul rolled into town, he didn't do it on a smart car, doing some sort of chase, and there wasn't the boys are back in town playing or anything. I mean, when he came into town, it was serious business. So, but secondly, the other thing is that Paul wrote this letter with Oni. He would have had to hand deliver that letter, hand deliver that letter to Philemon. And that was a journey of over 1,200 miles. 1,200 miles for him to think about what this interaction was going to be like. 
what, what Philemon might say. And of course, in my brain, I'm thinking, like, how would he do it, right? So he would bring the letter. Would he, like, whip it against the door and then run away, you know, like newspaper style? Or would he, would he do it? Would he, like, bring it, like, knock on it and then dive in the bushes over here and wait for him to come out? I don't know if they had bushes back then, but in my brain they did, right? Or, or would he... Would he take the note and would he like fold it up like the junior high note that you give to the girl that had like four million folds to it, right? You know, take him an hour to open it and it would be check yes or no, you know, something like that. Like, would he do it that way? Or would he just stand in front of the door? Would he just stand and just, just knock and take it like a man? I mean, how would he do it? See, the thing is, is that on the guilty side of the door of grace, you and I find ourselves here a lot, don't we? In fact, more than we care to admit. You see, on this side is where the guilty are. On this side is where the cheating husband is that realizes he's destroyed his family. On this side is where you have the the wife that that decided to divorce her husband but now understands what she's done. On this side is the drug addict that sold and did anything he possibly could for his addiction, costing his family everything, and now ashamed and realizing what he's done has come. On this side of the door of grace is the, the friend who turned their back on you when you needed them the most. See, these are the cheaters, these are the abusers, the liars, the guilty is on this side of the door. And it's the guilty that are coming to make things right, though. It's the guilty that are coming to say, I'm sorry, I need forgiveness. See, Oni didn't force Paul to write the letter. And then Paul didn't force Oni to then make this long journey. Oni did it himself. He decided that he needed to do it because it was the right thing to do. He was guilty. He he knew that he had to make things right because of this, because he had met Jesus. He'd become a Christian. And that's what should happen when we follow Christ. Read about it in Philemon. We just read Philemon 1 6. It says, I pray to you that you might be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. He goes on in 121 to say, I have the confidence of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do more than I ask. So Paul, writing to Philemon, the Christian, knows that he is supposed to do more. That because he's met Christ, there should be something that happens inside of him. That he should be willing to start extending grace to those people. Now let's be very clear. The people that come to this side of the door are ones that want to come. They're not the ones that we hope will come. They're not the ones that we think should become because they've done something to us. But these are the ones that want to come because they realize that they have done something and they need to have forgiveness for it. But, but, several of us, me included, we don't come to this door, do we? We don't want to come to this door. We need, we, we know we need to, but we don't. Why? What keeps us from coming to this door of grace? Well, I know for me the list is endless, but for me it's, it's my pride. I just don't want to admit it. I'm, I, I want it to just go away, don't we? We just want that thing we did to go away. It's my unwillingness to deal with this gaping wound that's on my leg that I've, that I've covered with a Band-Aid. It's my uh, embarrassment of what I've done. I don't want to think about it anymore. For me to knock on this door would be countercultural. People in the world wouldn't understand. Why in the world would you go and ask forgiveness for what you did? Just run away. And my sinful nature will back me up on that. My sinful nature will say, you run as fast as you can away from there and don't go to that door. That's what my sin will tell me. But although we may feel that we don't need grace, that we've got it covered, that we can convince ourselves that we're totally fine, we aren't fine, are we? We are not fine because in our spirit is a tension that has been created. In our tension in our spirit that is screaming for peace and for forgiveness. And especially if we've 
call ourselves Christians, especially if we have called ourselves Christ followers, that we want to be closer to Him. Because out of an outpouring of our heart, as we want to worship Christ more, be more like Him, we need to knock on the door of grace more and more. When we've wronged, we need to admit to them that we've made mistakes, that we need to admit to the person, go back to them. And there is no guarantee that the door of grace will be open. There is no guarantee when I knock on this door that the other side will be opened by that person. But it doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to knock. He doesn't mean He doesn't want us to knock. Because, because with every knock, with every knock on this door, we are demonstrating our faithfulness to God and He is looking down on us with joy, knowing that we are following Him and wanting to be more like Him. As Christians, we need to come to this door often. But there also is another side, isn't there? There's the the inside of the door of grace. And on the inside is a completely different group of people. See, on the inside is the group of the victims, the hurt, the broken, the lied to, the cheated, the abused, the broken. This is the side of the cheated on wife. This is the side of the husband that didn't want the divorce. This is the, the family that was robbed by the addiction. This is the side of the friend who was hurt and abandoned. And when we're on this side of the door, whether we want to admit it or not, when we're in the middle of our mess, we may not believe it, but on this side of the door lies a great deal of power. A great deal of power and a great deal of potential for forgiveness, for the possibility of freedom for us. That on this side of the door is where our faith is placed to its ultimate test. And I get it. I understand. I get it. I know that you didn't ask for this to happen. I know that you didn't want to be in debt. I know you didn't want to be cheated on. And I'm sure Philemon can be the same way with you. I'm sure that he says, I'm the victim here. Why should I get off? Why should he get off free? I'm the one that's out the money. If I let him in, who else is going to step all over me? And why should I be the one that takes him back? He hurt me. Why should I be the one to give the second chances all the time? What about me? I'm the victim. And we can be completely right and completely justified in our answer if we never had to be on this side of the door. That if somehow our lives are so perfect that we never need a grace extended to us. But in the reality is every single one of us do. You see, grace is so sweet when we're the ones eating it. But it can be bitter when we're the ones giving it. But just as joyful as God is when he sees a sinner going to that grace door and knocking on it, he is equally, if not more, joyful for us when we are at this door and following his son's example, we extend grace to someone else. When we extend that to them. Believe me, the key to this entire book that we just read is in the last line. In Philemon 125 where it says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul is reminding us, he's reminding his friend, that the reason grace is full of second chances is that without it our spirit is incomplete. Without it we are bound with a tension in our lives that gives us nothing but discomfort and discontent. But... When we allow grace to impact our spirit, everything that we are, everything changes. Because grace is our spirit's release valve. It is. We release the tension that pride and pain come within us. In exchange for that, we release that out for the freedom and peace that only grace can offer. And can you imagine what our world would be like if this happened? Can you imagine what our world would look like if this was put into action by us? Marriages would be saved. Friendships would be restored. Healing can take place. Our world would be different. 
our world where people humbly came to this door with their mistakes and those that were hurt by them opened the door and extended grace to them, our world would be drastically different. So different that it might actually start to look like the world God designed it to be from the beginning. We can do this. We can be men and women of grace and not by our power, but by the power of Christ working within us. Because the truth is, is that there is two sides to the door of grace. And at some point in our lives, we will come to one of these doors. In fact, we will come to this door. When our life has ended, we will come to this door and we will be forced to knock. And when we knock on this door, God will open that door upon our death. And at that moment, He will open it and we will approach Him one of two ways. You see, we can approach Him with, stand before Him and give our most convincing argument for our goodness. That despite our sin, we feel we did more good than bad and we've tipped the eternal scales in our favor. And we will list all that we've done and we will list how nice we were and how much money we gave away and on and on and on until we've exhausted and squeezed every bit of goodness out of our life. And when we're through and out of breath, God will look at all that we've presented and sadly He will say that it's not enough to pay the debt, that the damage is too great, the cost was too much, and He will force us to walk the other way from that door. Or we could come to Him humbly and we could stand before Him and instead of reaching into our past for all of our goodness, we can reach into our pocket and we can give Him a postcard that we were asked to give Him. And He will take it and He will read and look at these words and He'll find this. This is my dear friend and fellow worker. He struggled mightily in this life and fell many times. Her list of sins are too long to list, but there's no question that they are there. We both know that your standard is nothing short of perfection. And as the holy God, you are sovereign in your plan. I know that if perfection is not met, then death is the just penalty for their transgressions. However, I'm here to vouch for my friend and want you to consider him useful in your service. I appeal to you on the basis of your love that surpasses all understanding. I tell you this with full confidence, that if they owe you anything or have wronged you in any way, you charge it to me. I will pay their price. I implore you by grace, signed in blood, Jesus Christ. And at that moment, God will put his card down and looking at us with tear-filled eyes, with tear-filled eyes, he will move out of the way and he will extend his hand to us and he will welcome us into an eternity that we don't deserve, but that He gives us freely through His grace. And at that moment, at that moment, we will understand and feel what grace is all about. Let's pray. Mighty God and Father, the applause to You, Lord God, that Your grace is so amazing, that the God of second chances didn't turn His back on the world that turned from Him. Lord, that You sent Your very best in Jesus Christ to live amongst us, to live a life perfect, to die for us, to take on a cross for us, to go on a tomb for us, to prepare a place for us after defeating death, that a place that we don't deserve, that You give us freely through Your grace. 
And that one day, for those that have accepted that grace, we knock on a door and our dad opens his arms and he welcomes us in and he tells us, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enter your rest. A rest that we don't deserve, but you give us through your grace. Oh God, would you fill us with your spirit and allow us to be loved like we've never been loved before. And may we knock on the door often and maybe be quick to forgive as you've called us to. Let us show grace like you've shown us. In the beautiful and holy name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.